0: are listening to a podcast from The National. Golden card, a permanent residency for expats in the UAE is a reality. This will likely boost the attractiveness of the Emirates for top global talent and investment. You are listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from The National's newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. Now, later in this episode, we will hear from Playpreneur's Zeena Akawi about her new club designed to help mentor startups in the UAE. But right now, here is the other news you need to know from the national.ae. The U.S. has backtracked on immediately banning Huawei, allowing a three-month reprieve after technology stocks tanked on news Washington would forbid American entities from doing business with a Chinese telecoms equipment maker. The OPEC Plus alliance of oil producers has indicated it is likely to roll over into the second half of the year existing output curbs of 1.2 million barrels per day. Global Index Compiler MSCI will announce its decision on whether to upgrade Kuwait to its emerging market classification next month, a move that will attract capital flows to the country's equities market. Shares of India's jet airways continue to rise after it emerged the conglomerate Hinduja Group, is eyeing the opportunity to bid for the debt-laden, grounded airline. Oman's budget airline, Salam Air, is weighing an order of up to a dozen Airbus narrowbody aircraft as it seeks to triple the size of its network before a potential public listing. A U.S. study backed by Google shows that AI can be used to detect lung cancer and provide doctors with more accurate readings of scans. Now, I'm happy to say, with me is Kelsey Warner, Assistant Business Editor. Hi, Kelsey. Hello, Mustafa. Hi. As I said at the top of the show, the golden card permanent residence is going to be awarded, according to Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid, ruler of Dubai and Prime Minister of the UAE, to exceptional and talented individuals and to whoever contributes positively to the UAE's success story. Now, so far, about 6,800 selected investors and residents are those individuals, and apparently the total investment they represent is something like 100 billion dirhams. The permanent visas intended to ultimately make the UAE much more attractive, as well as bring in those sort of experts, top engineers, scientists, um, brilliant students. Now we don't know the exact criteria yet, Kelsey, to this because, you know, as, as with many of these incentives, the practical application will emerge in the weeks and months ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, we know that the idea of permanent resi- residency is a reality. And, and I just want to like set the tone for, for how this was announced because, um, you know, Sheikh Mohammed said on Twitter, "We want those people to be permanent partners in our journey. All the residents of the UAE are our brothers and part of a large family. So it's it's quite emotive. The, you know, the tone that's been set is is, is, is something that yes, is it's is familial. embracing, yeah, yes, warm." Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I'll just, we'll just take a step back for a second and say, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, that this, this is a step change, but not something that's come out of the blue.
1: This is something that's been expected for a while. But, you know, typically foreign residents have renewable visas that are valid for two or three years and often tied to their employment. But last year, the government announced plans to reform its visa policies. It pledged to open up the system to allow five and 10 year visas for sought after professionals and academics and for long term investors. But the permanent residency program set on a Tuesday takes us really even further. Uh, It creates an interesting new paradigm, really, for residents and investors here. So for the property industry, permanent residency would give a boost to developers and sellers, experts have said, that we've reached out to. Uh, Louis Alsop, who's the chief executive of Alsop and Alsop, said the move is a huge milestone for the UAE and for the property market. He said that over the last few years, he's seen continual steps to enhance the property market and to add longevity to the UAE. First with five-year retirement visas, long-term visas, 10-year visas, and now this permanent residency option. He also said the gold card will further the stability of the UAE by encouraging more distinguished professionals to the country. The property market will benefit hugely from this step in strengthening the economy. Of course... The UAE is not the first. There are many countries who offer uh, permanent residency. Among the most notable is the green card system in the United States, often issued to priority workers, relatives of existing residents, and $1 million plus investors. Uh, Portugal, they have a golden visa. That's given to those investing in property or setting up a business that will create jobs. Yeah,
0: the the golden visa is very well known. Um, I mean, anecdotally, I know a lot of people with um, Arabic passports, that have used the golden visa system to to essentially get EU citizenship, which is important in terms of, you know, just being able to travel mm-hmm. and move around. Um and, and, and that's and that's possibly a different reason why people would choose that. While here I think um it's much more related to living here.
1: Right. It's it's not about ease of getting around. It's really ease of reta- like staying here, building a home. Um, and I think that that, in uh, the Sheikh's message, was really emphasized in terms of be part of our family. Yeah. Call this place home.
0: It's a softer sell, mm-hmm. if, if I can say that. And, um, you know, if we, if we look at some of the, the prominent business voices that have already come out and, and, and made statements, um, th- those who listen regularly will know B.R. Shetty. He is the founder of NMC Health just listed for Nabler in London as well. Um, so he's very much a, a success story. I mean, he says he came here with nothing. Um, he said this is a Ramadan blessing, a golden gift to all those who've contributed positively in developing this great country. Um, and I like, I like the way they've called it a golden card. Um, there's a certain cachet to it, um, I yeah. wonder if it'll be the new like Amex Black Card. I
1: th- that's what I um, I was saying saying to Joe in the newsroom the other day. I, that the Black Card was a missed branding opportunity, but he convinced me of the uh, the golden the golden card is definitely. Yeah, it's uh, what is it Willy Wonka's golden ticket? It, well, it's a uni- <laughs> it's a
0: universal color, right? When you say gold, you know what it means.
1: It's a precious metal.
0: Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. And 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 you know it. This this should be branded because, as you pointed out. They're not the first country to offer permanent res- residency. And actually, um, you know, I think Saudi Arabia has been talking about it. Other countries in the region have been talking about it. Um, people are beginning to understand this imp- the importance of, of people, of the, the idea of belonging. But I'll also argue that, you know, over the last 30 years in particular is the rapid pace of development. Um, has been so evident in the UAE. Mm -hmm. The idea of belonging has increasingly become more and more important.
1: Sure. And in tandem recently with converting leasehold to freehold for foreign investors, this idea of permanency is kind of increasingly becoming a theme.
0: And I'd say more broadly, again, touching on the softer issues, we're in a year of tolerance. So we've already had a visit from the Pope. We've had the Special Olympics. Um, There is a kind of inclusivity related to that. Last year was the year of Zayed, where the founding father's principles about you know essentially you know a blueprint for living sustainably, both in terms of of the environment but also with your fellow human beings and running businesses, you know created the idea of what the UAE should be and what it has always been. And then in the beginning of this year, um, Dubai's ruler, as a sort of anniversary of his 50 years of, of service, uh, came out with eight principles that defined. You know, what Dubai should be. Um, and these included, uh, you know, things like access to quality healthcare, nurturing of talent, access to a fair justice system, and, you know, obviously other things. Um, but it, it, the, the whole idea is creating this idea of, of what it means uh, to be part of society here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- this all seems very, very natural now. Um, but in, in fact, if you take a, a step back 20 years ago, this was just a dream.
1: Sure. I mean, even when I moved here 4 years ago, the idea of permanent residency would have been a very foreign concept and entirely unexpected. So yeah, this is exciting.
0: So look, let's let's well, you'll have more from the the golden card story um, at the national.ae as it develops and and we get more information. Um Kelsey, what what else has grabbed your attention this week in particular?
1: We have to talk about Huawei. We do, don't we? Yes. Uh, it's just uh a bit, you know, Further brinkmanship, really, from Donald Trump in the U.S.-China trade war, it seems. Uh, You know, as you said earlier in the top of the show, that he had to kind of backpedal a bit after U.S. tech shares tanked. Uh, He didn't seem to realize really how interconnected the Chinese tech empire of Huawei is with U.S. tech firms.
0: They were quite bullish. Um, The founder of Huawei was saying the U.S. is underestimating our strength.
1: Oh, yeah. They've had a plan B for a while. I mean, they anticipated that they may ultimately lose access to the Android operating system.
0: Which which happ- happened temporarily, right?
1: Which has happened temporarily uh, because of this three-month stall on the implementation. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. But Huawei's built the infrastructure that they need to... Uh, basically run a parallel operating system that mimics Android. And also, I mean, Huawei, more than half of their customers are Chinese, and they can't access Android, the most popular Android apps in China anyway. They don't have access to Gmail, YouTube, um, Google Maps. There's alternative venues for them to find those, you know, that information. So, yeah, it kind of remains to be seen, I think, what the full impact will be. But actually, also our tech reporter, Al spoke to some analysts and they really warned that uh, the backlash against Apple could be really strong, that the counterpoint here that Beijing could take is against Apple.
0: Yeah, It's interesting because, you know, this is all centered around what's perceived to be out of Washington and some other countries, the risk that if Huawei is so integral to 5G Mm. um, infrastructure, that there could be a backdoor for, for, for spying. They, they feel the links between the company and, and Beijing are so close that that's a, a genuine risk. But there's a sort of wa- there are a couple of wider things playing out. First of all, there is um, the trade war, um, you know the tit-for-tat tariffs between China and the US. This is definitely one strand of it. And you know, there's been reports saying that they were very sensitive about um, issuing this ban on Huawei if there was going to be a trade deal. And then when it became clear the trade deal wasn't going to happen, then they pulled the trigger on the ban.
1: Right. The pause in negotiations gave Trump a bit of a, uh, open the doorway a little bit. And uh, I also kind of want to talk about how important 5G is. It's not just about making your smartphone faster. It really will underpin a lot of technology in the coming century in terms of autonomous vehicles, remote surgery, um, heart monitors. You know, And if the infrastructure built into America's 5G network is owned by China, uh, a security expert actually told Bloomberg today that that means they can turn it off at a flip of a switch. So that's kind of a scary reality. Uh, and I do think assessing the security implications of that is necessary, whether or not it demanded that we blacklist Huawei, I'm speaking as an American, we uh, <laughs> kind of... Uh, that's, that's definitely an extra step.
0: Well, uh, th- I think there's two wide philosophical questions to kind of debate here. I mean, first of all is, what's the priority? Is the priority to have access to this important technology that some people say will be the difference between the first world and the third world in the future? You know, that'll be, the, you know, do you have 5G or do you not have 5G? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a priority to getting it done. And Huawei has emerged to be the world's leader yes. in this field partly because US companies didn't keep up for whatever reasons. But that was also the competitive market landscape was a reason. So I would argue that while this is important to talk about, we shouldn't really get in the way of building out 5G because it is that important, as you say.
1: Sure, absolutely. And I mean, American chipmakers are supplying a lot to Huawei as well to make 5G possible. So... Teamwork is going to be important in the rollout of 5G. Well,
0: I'll say, I'll say the second philosophical thing is, um, you know, this, you, we have to accept that it's not, this is not static. Like, just because Huawei leads now, it doesn't mean that they'll lead in the future. So I'll give you the example. You talked about Apple, backlash on Apple. Apple was nowhere in mobile phones.
1: Mm-hmm. Nokia
0: had, at one point, almost all the global market. And, in fact, the U.S. was lagging behind in GSM. Big time. And then literally overnight, with the introduction of the iPhone, everything changed. So, you know, there were there were, there were grumbles. I remember, not, not as loud as this, but there were grumbles about how, you know, Nokia was too dominant at the time. Um, there was a sort of feeling, you know, that Americans didn't like to use, and you're Americans, so you can tell me, didn't like to use non, you know, technology that wasn't led by the U.S. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain aspect to that, I think.
1: And Steve Jobs, I mean... What a, pa- a patron saint, really, uh, <laughs> of America.
0: Of American technology. Yeah, so. sure.
1: Um, I mean, the other thing, too, is that Huawei's invested so deeply in R&D. I, I think a third of their workforce is dedicated to R&D. 180,000 people are employed by Huawei. Um, and they picked 5G as the thing that they were going to be dominant in. And now America's playing catch-up. And I think the play here is, pause Huawei and see what we can do to catch up. And I don't know that they, they will be able to.
0: Kelsey, thanks so much. It's good to have you with us. Thank
1: you, likewise.
0: Okay, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Chris Nelson, Assistant Business Editor, spoke to Zena Akawi about the dynamic new club aimed at mentoring startups. Let's have a listen
2: to the interview now. Welcome, Zaina.
3: Thank you, Chris, thanks for having me.
2: Um, I wonder if you could uh, just give us a a brief description of um, Playpreneurs or or TPPC, um, what what it does uh, uh, and how it practically uh, works.
3: Okay, let me take you back to last year. Last year, we came up, uh, me and my partner, with an initiative called the Startup School, okay, uh, sometime in September. And this whole concept was for the year of Zayed to actually uh, provide free mentoring schemes for Emiratis so they can be mentored. It's kind of an incubation program to be mentored so they can be prepared to um, initiate their own startups. Um, We did some mentoring for five to six people, and then we found that there is a lot of demand when it comes to that, given the fact that the government uh, of the UAE actually announced providing investors for Emiratis, so why not actually do something of this sort? Things passed on, um, and then we decided by November to actually create a small mini club that would have Emiratis and secondary expats on board, uh, who are already existing entrepreneurs, uh, upcoming entrepreneurs and the youth itself who, you know, are looking to establish their businesses eventually. So Dr. Sarah and myself decided to start the Playpreneurs Club. It's going to be a platform that we're launching April 2019, an official launch that will be also associated with a government campaign. For Emiratis. And it's a club that's a platform to provide this mentoring scheme, okay, in a fun way. So all these um, members who come on board, and honestly, we are planning to actually have it for free, um, for them to actually come and be mentored on how to start their businesses. In addition to that, to play within their field. So if they are existing entrepreneurs, they can actually meet other entrepreneurs in different countries where we're opening these channels within the region, starting from, you know, KSA to Kuwait to Bahrain, Beirut, uh, and then moving to UK and the US. So they can exchange businesses and for us to actually boom that industry in specific. Given that now the whole world is opened up Mm -hmm. so why not provide that? So the Playpreneurs Club will provide um, interesting retreats for entrepreneurs where they can meet each other in different uh, parts of the world where they can travel and meet them Uh, workshops, okay, to mentor them and train them in different fields in addition to that, provide Um, Them with a platform to attend events where we have the lack of Emiratis in it. Okay, so example, an ex-brand is doing an event, launching something, you barely see this category. Okay, so we're going to provide that for them to actually enjoy being part of a luxury brand or whatever's happening around the city.
2: So it's almost like um, kind of developing a a cultural approach to to entrepreneurialism. And a fun one
3: too okay mm-hmm. we don't want it to be like uh, it's a business or a, a corporate kind of mm-hmm. a thing. No it's something also to enjoy, to relax to unwind. You know being an entrepreneur is not easy and having your own business is not easy Some, sometimes you need to unwind in different ways of course and be mentored also in a business uh, in a business aspect mm-hmm. for sure.
2: For the, the mentors that you have coming on board are, are established um, business people yes, already. Yes
3: of course yeah? 100%. Yeah. See um, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say names but uh, we have four on the advisory board. One that comes from a real estate background, one that comes from fashion and beauty, one that comes from the United Nations, okay, which I've been meeting meeting them separately, and a local Emirati who's part of the government. The reason why we're doing this is that these specific categories are the in thing within the region, right? In addition to tourism, of course. Um, and tourism, is they're leaving it to us because me and Sarah are doing the, the trips and the retreats. So we need to have those ex- experts on board to add value to things that probably we do not know eventually now if we do workshops we're going to be getting companies and speakers that are certified trainers to actually do stuff for the entrepreneurs of course i mean it's not going to be anybody for sure
2: so uh take let's say i'm i'm a a budding entrepreneur um say um in the in the fashion category which i know seems highly unlikely (laughs) but uh, let's assume that um I approach you and say, "This is, you know, I'm a, I want to get into uh, into the business of fashion. I'm a, a, a young young person. Um, how can you specifically? How can you help me? Uh, how does your uh, offering help me to?" So, if you want to become am-
3: a fashion entrepreneur, basically, yeah. First of all, we need to provide a research about the market that shows why do you have to actually become a fashion entrepreneur? Because again, there are industries where we have a lot of them around. Okay, so you might lose. By starting that business. So we provide that research. Okay. We mentor them in in specifically as to how to start a license, where they have to be, what are the lacks in the market that they can add value to. Okay. And of course, the financial aspects on where do they see themselves expansion wise and all of that. If they see that they are capable of handling this responsibility, then you'll find them easily going for it. Some people get scared. Okay, from from moving with something like this. It's not easy, again, I repeat it. But the thing is, some people are passionate and good with something in specific. I don't see a person like myself in PR. Is good in fashion. I cannot open a fashion, in the, um, you know, a company. But a lot of people actually go for risks of this sort, and this is why they fail. So mentoring them, giving them a bit of research about the market, example, retail, let's assume retail is not doing well, but the dot-coms are doing well. Maybe they need to go for a, an app business. Maybe they, You know what I mean? It's stuff of this sort that we can add value to. What them. was
2: it that, that actually initially inspired you to do this? What, what did, did something come along and you thought...
3: We have a lack in this uh, country, Mm -hmm. okay, with the segment in specific, okay? Uh, Emiratis today are playing a very big role in the country, and um, they're giving them a very big push, and they're doing a lot of gender equalities, and they're doing a lot of things. Nobody had tapped into this category as yet, okay? We've always um, got used to expats doing everything, uh, establishing businesses. Now we have Emiratis growing. They're opening up. uh, They have a different mindset, right or wrong? So... This segment is something that's becoming very important, and we're seeing them growing online. We're seeing them being everywhere, taking good positions. Some of them are leading amazing businesses uh, outside the UAE, too. Uh, And Saudi Arabia is also the same. If you see what's happening in KSA, I, I myself, I handle around six ladies in Saudi where I personally profile them. They're amazing. So things are opening up and I see there's a lag in that segment so why not tap into it and develop a nice generation a mm. nice upcoming generation
2: so the way the way um, Playpreneurs from your business point of view the way it works as a business for you is not through a membership uh, fee it's more through you're working with the venues and, and the service and providers. providing
3: the, uh, the, 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 the um, what's it called, the programs to mm-hmm. the uh, members. The reason is, I'll tell you something. Everyone goes to clubs today and they pay money, right? Uh, you can say that they might utilize 50% of everything that's happening and then the other 50% goes to waste. So your money is actu- actually going to waste. We thought in the beginning of doing this as uh, a paid initiative every month. OK, just like a, a gym, a membership. Then we thought, why? Maybe, for example, I'm paying for three months and I couldn't attend anything. So my money is going to waste. So why not actually create those activities, provide them to our members? Whoever wants to register can actually pay for it and attend it. As simple as that.
2: So how does, how does Playpreneurs, how, how do you make money?
3: We make money. OK, so we, we create the event. Okay, let's assume, for example, we're doing the workshop. Okay, we're getting X to speak, right? So we do uh, a fee, like like a ticketing fee, okay, where they actually come attended and to be certified by... A certification that I was thinking of getting from the UK. I'm still in talks with some people to be actually certified that I've attended this workshop by a well-known speaker. Okay. And I'm certified that I'm capable of. And doing
2: it's this the attendee work. that pays the fee. Yes. Right. Okay. So and it's and not a set it. monthly fee. I it's, don't want it's that. Neither side wants it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, okay.
3: Because at the end of the day, let's be honest, you can, you, you might pay 15,000 a year and, you might just attend something worth three thousand out of this fifteen thousand, so it's not fair. We see it from from our own expertise also, so we're providing something nice for 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 people to be comfortable, and we personally find it easier for us to get more attendees by them paying on the spot and coming in
2: mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I suppose, yes, if you've paid for a specific event, you're more likely to turn up because you want to be there in the first place. But
3: every time we send mass emails to people and say, hey, we're holding workshops and stuff, we might not guarantee attendances, right? Mm -hmm. And we're working very closely with the prime minister's office, okay, to gain at least an upcoming thousand youth of Emiratis that we can start pushing. Because from the youth, you can guarantee those people because they want to learn. Um, The existing entrepreneurs or the ones that have businesses for the past year or two, you might find them to slack off. Right. But, you know, with those youngsters, we can push, push. uh
2: As well as being involved in Playpreneurs, you're uh, behind um, Paz Marketing. Um, How has your experience with Paz uh, fed into the development of Playpreneurs?
3: Um, past marketing is all about public relations and public relations a lot of people perceive public relations as a fun kind of a networking thing but it's a lot of work to actually work on a person or work on yourself Um, meeting a lot of people in my expertise for the past 12 years having the agency um, I think what happened and and the fact that I meet a lot of them be it in events or be it in person I found there's a lot of lags in different places and I myself, I love helping people. I love assisting people in anything, even my comp- competition. I mean, I like helping people because I, I was born and brought up here, so I know a lot of different people in this industry. I wanted to add value somewhere, uh, be it with my personality, be it with the fact that I can talk, be it with the fact that I don't have any form of jealousy schemes as you know everyone else. Why not add value from my expertise to other people that are upcoming? At the end of the day, they're a new generation. Um, PR is very important and the sales techniques in you is very important. So how you sell yourself, um, how you profile yourself and how you brand yourself is very important you need to be really intelligent. Um, and this is where I got my expertise in, um, of course, PR is a very wide industry as you know. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, this is the small part of my experience where I wanted to add value in, in the Playpreneurs Club. And Sarah, the same, by the way, Sarah is very active. Uh, she's a board member. Uh, for two government entities and she's a PR person and she's got you know the the, the talk and the sales and every every single technique that we both have that's We're Dr.
2: Value. Dr. Sarah Dr. Al-Madani Sarah Madani, yes yeah, yeah. Uh, a serial entrepreneur yes. as well so, um uh, finally um uh I wonder if you could uh maybe um what would your advice be for a, a would-be entrepreneur thinking about uh setting up here
3: the most important thing for any person who wants to become an entrepreneur to know what kind of business they want to get into. Something that they are passionate about that they can actually deliver on, okay? So if I'm good in PR, I'm good in sales, I'm good in drawing, I'm good in arts, whatever, I need to find where I'm good at for me to be able to give in. Second, if you become an entrepreneur in an ex country, you need to know the market. You need to be able to know people because this will open doors to other things. The minute you open businesses here and you don't know anyone, that's a big problem. So maybe hire somebody who knows the market uh, and be down to earth, have the human side because doing good with people will bring you good.
2: Yeah. Zaina, many thanks uh, for your time Thank this you, afternoon. Chris. I, enjoyed
3: uh, I enjoyed being on the show and uh, best of luck.
0: That was Chris Nelson talking to Zena Akawi of Playpreneurs. If you've enjoyed this show, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts or any platform that you listen on. Leave a kind review, by all means, of course. All that remains is to thank producer Kevin Jeffers and you all for listening. Join us again next time.